You know, back years ago when the name Heritage was given, now you know why the name Heritage was given. And it was given for this specific reason that we would not just live out a legacy of faith, but we would leave a legacy of faith. And you guys are, um, you're going to do an incredible job in the days ahead. Um, if you were a counselor, I know that we had them in the early service as well, but if you went as a counselor, as a leader, would you please stand with me just for a second because I want you to be recognized. Thank you. Thank you guys very much. The thing that I want you to know is that their way is paid because of your generosity. 40 counselors and leaders that were sponsored as a result of you. It is very expensive to do a camp this size, do what we do. And because of you and your generosity and faithfulness, not only did you send adults to counsel and be part of that leadership team, but you also sponsored kids that couldn't afford to go. For that, we say we're very thankful. Um, see, you think, now you think Michael Hux is the is the one that's responsible for all this, but that's not really the truth. See, the, back behind, the backbone behind all of this is Chrissy. Hux is just a good puppet, just so that you guys know that. His, Chrissy, we appreciate you. Um, very much so. You've got two special people that came in to just, to, just to see you because they knew you needed counsel after a week. And so uh, we're glad to have your mom and dad with us today and to be part of this time. And so thank you. Thank you very much, um, Don and Eddie, for being here with us in our time. Can we talk about God's word today? Can we do that? Won't you turn over with me just for a second? Turn over to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, just for a second. We've been in the book of Proverbs, and we've been talking about Proverbs, and we're going to be in Proverbs today. Everything that we're going to talk about is in Proverbs. And I, um, if you're walking along, which I hope that you are, which I know that many of you have made a commitment to do that, we are in Proverbs chapter 16 today, because today is July the 16th. We're in Proverbs 16. I want to go ahead and let you know so I can take the pressure off of you. We're going to be in Proverbs another month. Is that okay? It's okay if it's not okay with you, because we're going to do it anyway. So you know that. And so you're going to have another chance to walk through it again, hopefully in another translation, but we've already made the decision. We're going to take Proverbs all the way through Labor Day weekend, and, uh, and we're excited to be able to do that. There's so much so much to gain and to absorb walking through Proverbs and at this season in our church's life. I'm so thankful that we're here to listen. But just to remind you, wisdom isn't just the acquisition of truth. It's not just the bringing in of the truth. And it's not just the skill of applying it, but it's knowing how and when to apply it. And Rod talked about that last week. But as you dig deeper down into where Proverbs is at, you come to learn that wisdom just isn't the information, the truth, but wisdom is a person. It's a, it's a person by the name of Jesus who is the embodiment of wisdom. And there we find in the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 11, we find some words that are very important to us as, as, as the prophet Isaiah would prophesy about the coming Messiah. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 5, and read along with me. To sort of give you some context, the uh, Israelite people had um, continued to rebel against God, continued to disobey God, and so God allowed the Assyrians to go in and cut them down, 
and to destroy many of them except for a remnant so that you can get a little bit of a grasp. If you look at the end of chapter 10 in, in um, Isaiah, you will see where the picture is given to us of a field that is full of stumps. When I think about stumps, I think about trees that have been cut down. They have been, they've been harvested, and as a result, you see a field of deadness. You see a field that is hopeless. You see a field that is filled with, with nothing. And yet, listen at what Isaiah would say that out of the stump of David's family would grow a shoot, yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root, and the Spirit of the Lord would rest upon him. He's talking about the coming Messiah. He's prophesying that Jesus would come. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and that he will, he will delight in the obeying of the Lord. He will not judge by appearance, nor make a decision based on hearsay, but he will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. And then when Paul was writing to the church at Colossae in the New Testament, this is what Paul would say in Colossians chapter 2. He would say this, that in him, referring to Jesus, referencing Jesus, lie hidden all, not some, lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then in verse 6 and 7, he would go on to say, and we've, we've spoken this verse many times, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, talking about believers to believers, you must continue to follow him. Students, there's a great word in there for you. Just because you've had a great week at camp, you must continue to follow him. Just because you've had an experience at camp, you must continue to follow him. Just because we as adults have made a decision early on in life, you must continue to follow him. And listen to what he says. Let your roots grow down deep in him. Let your roots grow down deep. The deeper the root, the better the fruit. Well, you better hook that up. and that your lives be built on him, then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. And so as we read Proverbs, we read it not just to gain wisdom, but we read problem, Proverbs so that we have the ability to know wisdom himself, Jesus. Jesus. In talking about Proverbs, there's a couple things that I want to mention to you today, a couple things that I think that we need to make note of to remember. Number one, that the Proverbs aren't promises, but rather they're acknowledgments of the common reality. In other words, when you're seeking after the things of the Lord's students, there's a greater chance when you're desiring to live to please Him that things are probably going to go well. On the other hand, when you're seeking, not seeking after the things of the Lord, you're not desiring to, to please Him with your actions and choices and decisions. You can be certain that whatever success you may experience, that whatever fun you may have will only be temporary at best. So the Proverbs are not promises. The second thing that I want to say to you is this, that the Proverbs are not formulas for success. Look at what Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27 says, fear of the Lord lengthens one's life. It lengthens one's life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. We know that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, acknowledging that God is the one that's large and in charge. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 talks about raising up children. It says, direct your children onto the right path, and when they're older, they will not leave it. 
So not so fearing God, seeking to do what's right, will more than likely live, lead to a longer and enjoyable life. When you seek to train up your kids, parents, when we seek to teach them about the things of the Lord, when we seek to teach them what it means to fear the Lord, and we live out that faith in their life, and we set an example before them, prayerfully they will continue down that path, but there is no guarantee that that will happen because we live in a broken world that's filled with broken people. And so we see that Proverbs are a general rule. In other words, if you do this, if you seek after the things of the Lord, there's a good probability that this will happen. But that isn't necessarily, that's not a promise. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Life. Bringing security and protection from harm. And Solomon isn't saying that if we fear the Lord and follow him that we're not going to have tough times. He's not going to say that you're, not, you're going, to be, going to be involved in things that are difficult or tough. He's not going to say that you're not, he's not saying that you're not going to suffer. He's not going to say that you're, you're not going to experience times of trouble. But what he is saying is that when you fear the Lord, your fear of the Lord will impact the choices you make that you will in turn impact the consequences that you will experience in life. You need to hear what I'm telling you. So you can go to church and you can go all the camps you want to go to, but listen, somewhere along the line, your fear of the Lord, your understanding that he's large and in charge has to some way begin to make its way down into your choices. Do you hear me? Not just a great camp experience. It's awesome, but it's got to begin to make its way down into every choice that you make. That if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to seek to live for him, there's a better chance that you're not going to do things that you shouldn't do. There's a greater chance you're not going to go places you shouldn't go. And as a result, you're not going to have to endure some of the consequences that you would endure if you were to do that. Ask your parents. Ask your parents. I know a lot of people listening today go to church every Sunday, but their lives is filled with junk. Because they don't live the life of the wise. They live the wife of the fool. Parents, I should hear an awful lot of amens. How many times do we get ourselves in trouble? No, how many times do I get myself in trouble as a result of choices that are driven by discontentment and unsettledness? I wonder how many marriages have been destroyed. Financial freedom has been sacrificed. Restless nights have been experienced because of discontentment. I heard a quote not long ago, and it said something like this. There's never been a time in history where people have had access to more but enjoyed the more less and less and less. You guys know those cell phones that you have, these smartphones that we have these days. I, I read something not long ago that it now replaces over 50 objects or 50, 50 devices that you, we used to have to have. That, that smartphone that you have, it, it, it is a calculator, a notebook, a flashlight, a calendar, a camera, a video recorder, a GPS, a map, a scanner, a compass, a gaming device, a video player, a TV, a photo album, an alarm. I mean, all these things that it is. I mean, I was at the, getting my hair cut the other day. I have to do that every once in a while. And uh, so when I was getting my hair, my, my phone went ding, ding. Listen, don't ever go to my house because everything that happens at my house, I see at my house, all right? So Bruce, don't ever think you can go to my house and I can't see you at my house. So my phone notifies me and tells me what's going on at my house. So if y'all want to come toilet paper my house, I'm going to know every one of you to come to my house. <laughs> Not in to say all the guns and the ammunition that will be ready to go off at that moment in time. <laughs> <laughs> 
That happened one time. I have some stories to tell. There are some people that still have a tick this day as a, as a result of it. And so, uh, anyway, so I'm sitting there, my alarm is going off, and my phone's going, bzz, bzz, bzz. I said, man, let me look at that. David said, what is that? I go, somebody said, the delivery man. I said, let's have fun. So, so the delivery man, he's bringing something to the house, and he makes his way. He, he, he starts off to the front of the house, and I go, hey. And, you know, it's really funny when some, you know, I'm talking, hey, he jumps and he looks, I go, you might want to put that in the garage, like the direction said. And he just like, oh, oh, when he moves it, well, David thought that was so funny, the guy cutting my hair. But anyway, <laughs> why in the world do you need a secretary when you got Siri? I asked her today, I said, I'm really feeling bad today. How do I look? She said, you look perfect at always. I didn't want to ask her again because she might have said, I hope I made a mistake. But <laughs> See, gone are the days of NBC, CBS, ABC, and PBS. Some of you remember those times. Some of you remember having to turn the, turn the dial so that you could get a little bit better reception. I read something the other day. Over 1,700, 1700 um, stations that there are around the world these days. Tune in anytime, any, anywhere. But even with access to more, even, even though we're more connected than ever before, every poll, every statistic that you will read tells us that there is more dissatisfaction with life than ever before. There is so much disconnect. There is so much stress. But why is that? And is there a common denominator? Is there a common denominator in the midst of all of that? Maybe one of the possible answers we find in Proverbs chapter 14. Turn there with me. Turn there with me today. Proverbs 14, 30. Maybe one of the answers we find here in Proverbs 14, 30, which says a peaceful heart, a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy or envy is like a cancer to the bones. Kids, that's a good verse to memorize. A peaceful heart, that thing which we so much long for, we so desire, so important. And he says, but it leads to a healthy body. But jealousy, on the other hand, or envy is like a cancer to the bones, in the bones. And with today's technology, advertising, social media interaction, um, I don't even know if we begin to grasp um, the damage that is being done to our souls. Are you with me? I don't know if we understand the breeding ground for discontentment. And so I want to I give you just a couple of thoughts that I think are really important today in reference to, to what comparison, some of the lies, some of the lies that we, we buy into. Number one being a wrong perspective. Our minds are constantly, constantly, consistently bombarded with junk. You aren't good enough. You aren't pretty enough. You aren't smart enough. You aren't strong enough. You aren't tall, tall enough. You just, go into, you just go ahead and fill in the blank. And the rise, in, the rise of the platform of social media has just enlarged discontentment exponentially. And it not only impacts our spiritual lives, it impacts our relationships. It impacts us physically as well as mentally and psychologically. How many people's lives these days are ruined because of social media and you don't even realize it? 
I mean, your day's going perfect, perfectly fine until you see that so-and-so posts a picture and all of a sudden your day is like, what? I mean, you're okay with your vacation to the beach until you saw so-and-so doing this over here. And then it's like, man, what did I do? I missed out. Instead of being thankful for all the things that we've experienced, we spend our time focused on that which we may not have. The pictures on Facebook, the ones that seem to be so natural, for goodness sake. Realizing that it took a photo marathon just to get that one picture. Sometimes not minutes. Sometimes it might be an hour or two, or sometimes it might be a day. And we live in this pace inside of this culture that, that leads us to struggle with being satisfied and leads us down this path of discontentment, of feeling just so disconnected from everything. And I, whatever I'm experiencing, it's just not enough. I'm not against social media, kids. Adults, not at all. I think it's an incredible tool for reaching people for Jesus. I think it's an incredible tool for reaching people and impacting people. I think it's an incredible tool for keeping up with people when it's in the right hand, but in the wrong hands, that tool which can be used for good can be used to cause tremendous chaos. Hear what I'm telling you. In the wrong hands, it can be used to rob us as well as others of the peace that we so desperately desire and man manufacture an enormous sense of tension because of the discontentment that it drives. And you know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. The second thought is this, the wrong presumption, a wrong premise. More is better. The grass is greener on the other side. If I only had... I mean, when's the last time in your, in your life you've thought, if I could only have that, my life would be so much better. I mean, you saw, maybe you've seen the infomercial on, on, uh, on TV at some point in time, that thing that makes the salsa, you know, you, you do your tomatoes and you do this right here and you think, I mean, I'm going to eat salsa the rest of my life. <laughs> and then you buy it, you, one, you use it one time and now it's been sitting in the kitchen cabinet ever since you bought it. I mean, how many of our garages and closets and kitchen cabinets and storage sheds are full of junk that we thought that it might be one time, if I could just have it, man, life will be so much better. I read this, and I don't know what, this is not the latest statistic, but at one time, the United States of America was the, was the housing ground for 90% of all the world's storage facilities. 90% because of America's mindset when it comes to materialism. Billions of dollars are spent every day, every day, not every day, every year. Billions of dollars spent every year in an attempt to lead you towards discontentment to, make you, to help you make a purchase. You know, it's easy to feel. I'm just, one, I'm just one purchase away. If I could just get it, life would be so much better. I, I would be so much happier. But discontentment is a bottomless pit and you can never fill it. Fill it. You can never satisfy that, that, that place. Regardless of what you acquire, Jim Carrey said this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. The third thought, the wrong person. Acknowledge the tension of discontentment because if you don't, you'll find yourself living for the wrong 
person. The evidence of FOMO, you've heard, you've heard uh, our counselor friend Dwight Bain talk about that. It's been around for years. A research paper was written in 1996 where a research strategist, a marketing strategist, um, brought it to the surface, that name. He gave it a name and he defined it, but it exploded in 2004 when something came on the scene. Do you know what that was? Facebook. When Facebook was launched, FOMO means the fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. Just think I need you to explain that to you teenagers so that y'all get that right. This is class two. F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. Adults, you might want to remember that. Fear of listening out. Today, it's not diagnosed as a psychological condition, at least not yet. But it can be considered not only a phobia, but also an addiction. And what FOMO is, it's the discontentment that comes as a result of being overstimulated by the highlights of other people. You see or you hear about what somebody else is going, what's going on in their lives, the pictures, the stories, the videos, and as a result, you feel like you're missing out. Maybe you've said this or you've heard somebody else say, or maybe you've heard your teenager or child say, in the past week, my life is so boring. Maybe you felt that way. I read stats, and these are not the latest of statistics, but 147 minutes every day is what the average person gives to social media. It's interesting to note that one study concluded that FOMO is the top reason people overschedule their lives. This is truth, people. It's truth. You will do things that you normally may not do because somebody else is doing it, so you will plan to do it so that you just won't miss out. There were trips that you will take. You don't want to take, don't have the money to take, but you will take it and you will do it. You will participate it because you don't want to lift, be left out. There are teams that you will participate because you don't want to be left out because you're living with this sense of discontentment that life could be better and you're missing out the whole time. But you don't have to have a social media account to feel disconnected, to feel left out, to feel discontented. But on the flip side, can I tell you a story in the New Testament that sort of helps us out a little bit? A story in the New Testament that we find in the book of Philippians where a man by the name of Paul would address this issue and he would write about this when he was speaking to the church, when he was writing to the church at Philippi. Turn over to the book of Philippians in the New Testament with me just quickly. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and following. And this is what Paul would write. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Being contented wasn't something that Paul was born with, but he grew into it. And I don't want us to forget where Paul was at again when he was writing this. He was writing it from a prison cell, and he would go on to write, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned, and don't miss this, underline the word secret. I've, I've learned the secret. Paul said, I've learned the secret of living in every situation. To have or not to have. Whether it's with a full stomach or an empty stomach, with plenty or with little. And then there's that verse that we've learned over the years. Some of you have it memorized or you've heard it read many and many times. And here's the secret. For I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. See, when we talk about the subject of contentment being full or satisfied, there's a couple of things that I think we can pull away from the life of Paul that are really important. To, so you want to write these down really quickly. Number one, realize how blessed we are. We spend an awful lot of time talking about the things we don't have instead of realizing what we do have. If I were to ask you to write a list for me of all the things you don't have which you, or things that you wished you have, you could fill up a notebook and it wouldn't take you a second. And we can, start, we can talk about all those things, but a key to being contented isn't just about talking about um, what we're missing, but making a note of those things that we do have and how blessed we truly are. Anybody ever had a bad day? I mean, nothing seems to go your way. Anybody ever have a bad week? Bad year? Bad month? Yeah. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day, and finally I just said, look, you got to stop. And they said, why? I said, man, you, I need to go get a nap after talking to you with everything you got going on. I know a lot of people. I hear struggles. See, there are some people that their struggle isn't just a high electric bill. See, that their struggle isn't just a toothache or a struggle isn't that they have, just have a child that's, that's, that's dealing with some difficulties. There are going to be times of sickness and death and there are going to be times of difficulty. But I sat by the bedside of a friend not long ago who had just been diagnosed with the early stages of Alzheimer's only a few days later to be diagnosed with the fact of, man, you're a ticking time bomb. If you don't have immediate heart surgery, you're going to die right now. There's some people that are living with life and death situations. We live in a broken world. We live with broken people. We will experience those times of difficulty. I remember several years ago as a family, we had experienced several deaths close to us within our family. And not only that time, there were extensive extended bills that came in for things that were unexpected, but thank the Lord we had planned for them. But I remember at one time, I remember at one time thinking to myself, okay, Jesus, you got my attention. You got my attention. And I remember starting to think about all the things I was thankful for making the list of all the things, that, all the blessings. In the middle of all that, I don't want you to forget this, that regardless of the circumstance that you might be facing, I want you to understand and always remember that the God of the universe, not only the one who created you but loves you, he went to the extent to send his son that you might have eternal life. We are blessed. The only thing you have to do is to receive that blessing, but you've got to recognize how blessed you are that we are. No, we might not have everything we want. No, we may not have everything that we need, but I will tell you this, we have a whole lot more than what we deserve. You don't want what we really deserve, as a matter of fact. We have a lot to be thankful for. And Paul was writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He would say this, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of all of them. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience, even, in the, even the worst of sinners. Then others would realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. And that eternal life is available to anyone. Anyone that's willing to humble themselves and submit themselves and say, Jesus, I will. 
And he said in verse 17, all honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God and may we take notice. It'd be a great day just to sit down and start writing a list of all the things that you, you're thankful for. Because when those times of discouragement, when those times of discontentment may, may begin to set in, you can go back to that list and be reminded and remind yourself, not only yourself, but everybody else around you, all the things that you have an opportunity to be thankful for. Because it is, it is a lot. Instead of focusing your time and, on, and attention on all the things that you're lacking, the things that aren't going right, Instead, choose to focus your life on the blessings. And instead of taking all the selfies and, and spending all the time trying to get the right look, spend your time letting the world know on social media how blessed you are. Matter of fact, that's a great exercise for the day. Every day to get up and say, today I want to just give God the thanks for this. Students, that's a great way to give a testimony. I just want to let the world know today I'm thankful for this. And it may be it's something as small as whatever it may be, but Jesus, today, I just want you to know that I'm thankful. I'm thankful. It is a practice. It is, a, it is an exercise. The next thing that I want you to see is this. See God as your source. At the end of the day, I think if we're all honest, we will discover that our discontentment isn't really about the stuff that we accumulate, but there's a void. There's a sense of darkness that something is missing. There's a frustration, and we get frustrated in trying to fill that void. And don't miss this, man, don't miss this. Jesus is the only answer. Jesus is the only answer. A relationship with Jesus is the only answer to filling that void. There are some of you that may be listening to my voice and you're here today, and the only reason that you're here today is because you've been playing, you've did everything that you could, and you're still that void. And I just want you to know, there's nothing else that works to fill that void except for Jesus. Man, I'm glad that you're here. But the answer that you've been looking for isn't, isn't church. It's not religion. But it's Jesus. Amen. He's the answer. For those of us that are followers of Christ, that are professing believers, we need to remember not to become overwhelmed in those moments when we become discouraged and when the, those difficulties seem to, seem to arise. Teenagers, you're getting ready to go back to school, and I'm going to tell you what, man, it's going to hit you in the face. It may have hit some of you guys in the face when you walk back in your home. But you've got to hold on. And you've got to stand in the face of that adversity and not give up or, or, or fall or falter. But you've got to continue to stand strong. Paul said this when he was writing to the church at Galatia. Let's not get tired of doing what is good. At, but at just the right time, you will reap a harvest of blessing if you don't give up. You cannot give up. You've got to keep moving ahead. You've got to keep walking ahead, keeping your eyes focused on the Lord. He is our source. When writing to the believers at Philippi, back in chapter 2 in Philippians 2, he would say, Dear friends, you've always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. In Proverbs, this idea is stressed over and over and over again of digging Digging for something, searching for something, longing for something. 
In the New Testament, we see Paul and others with this idea of working out or working hard. And I think what Paul is saying here, don't become satisfied with what you get on the surface. Don't become satisfied with just this. Salvation is here, but learn to dig deeper. Long for, their, long for what's more. Dig for the gold. When you search for it, when you long for it, you'll find it. Yet how many of us refuse to put in the extra effort? How many times are we just satisfied with doing church? I pray that as a church family, we would never be satisfied with what happens here on Sunday morning. That you would take it back to your homes and that you would seek to implement it within your lives and implement it within your, your families. Everything that we need and everything that we lack is found in Jesus. That full and meaningful life that we long for isn't the result of, a, of an overflowing bank account or extra stuff that we accumulate. And you say, well, Pastor, how, 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 what makes you say that? How can you, how can you make a statement like that? Observation. The conversation with people over the years that have a whole lot more than what they need. And yet they still continue to struggle with discontentment feeling as if there has to be more. Student, if there's anything that you need to remember, Jesus is enough. Parents, if there's anything that we need to hear, we need to hear the words, Jesus is enough. So if Jesus is the source and how do we pursue him, you already know this, read God's word back in Proverbs 2. My child, listen to what I say and the treasure and treasure my commands. Trust your ears to wisdom. Concentrate on understanding. Cry for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek for them like a hidden treasure. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God. Instead of going and going, um, looking to another person or looking for another person, to fill that void, go to God, go to God, go to God, and not just learn about him, come to know him personally. I read a statistic the other day, I don't know how old it was, 30%, they say, of professing believers read the word on a regular basis, only 30%. Now, that could be once a week, it could be once a month, it could be once a year, but it's regular, right? I pray it would be consistently, ongoing, daily, if not hourly, that we're seeking to listen and apply God's words, not just on a Wednesday or not just a Sunday or not just at a camp, but we would come to know God by reading his word. How can you know him if you don't read about him, if you don't talk to him? Prayer. Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about a thing, but pray about everything. Tell him what you need and thank him for what he has done. And it says in verse 7, then you will experience God's peace. See that sense of unsettledness that you have? That peace that you're looking for? Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that you can ever understand. Do you know what it's like to walk with Jesus in the midst of the storm and not be freaking out? Do you know what it's like to be walking with Jesus when everything around you is crumbling but not to be overwhelmed? There's a sense of peace when you know him. 
And not when you just know that he's in the room, but you know that he's with you. God's peace will guard our hearts and our minds, allowing us to say, no, 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 I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to walk down that path of discontentment, but no, I'm going to say yes to the abundant life that you offer. Third secret, going back to where we were earlier, committed to the mission of Christ. So realizing what we have, realizing that God is a source and being committed to the mission of Christ. When Jesus was calling his first disciples, if you remember, he said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Paul said this in Philippians 3, verses 12 and 14. He said, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. I don't think when Paul was younger, I don't think when Paul was your age or younger, I don't think that he was thinking about his impact for Christ or the fact that he would plant churches and have such a radical impact. But this is what I know. When he had an encounter, a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, it changed his life. And he goes on to write, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus has possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race. I want to carry out that which God has entrusted me. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling me. See, Paul, living on mission, didn't have time to compare his life to everybody else. He didn't have time to spend focused on social media wondering, well, am I missing out? Because he was focused on doing what God had called him to do. He was living a life for something bigger. Amen? What are you living for? What are you absorbed with? What do you think about right now? Is Jesus at the front of that? When you, when you wake up in the morning, what is the first things that are on your mind? Paul knew what God had done in his life, and as a result, he wanted to others to experience what he himself had experienced. And when we're living on purpose and we're committed to the mission of Christ, it doesn't leave a lot of room for discontentment. And I'm going to read this statement because I wrote it down, and I don't want to miss the emphasis of it. Jesus didn't suffer and die on a cross to condemn us to a life of going to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. He was resurrected from the dead so that we might have life. That we could go from death to life and experience abundant life. And we, as his missionaries, as his ambassadors, have the ability to be a communicating force to those, of, to those around us, those the world around us that surround us of those things that we've experienced. See, when you've experienced God, you've encountered God, then you can share God with other people. Amen? 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 So here's your nugget for the day. Here's your nugget. With eyes up, discontentment fades. Simple. With our eyes up, our eyes focused on Jesus, discontentment fades. It fades. When we are focused on our relationship with Christ and our mission as believers, when we recognize of all the things that God has done, that God is our source, 
We have less space in our life to be consumed with discontentment. When we recognized all the blessings that God has bestowed upon us, when we recognize how much God loves us, when we're living on mission and we're sharing with other people what God has done in our life, we have less time, we have less space to be consumed with being discontented. Eyes up, only God. Can you imagine what it would be like to live um, and be part of a church that chose to live that way? Can you imagine what it would be like to be a, to be a man or a woman in the workplace, eyes up, focused on the Lord, living on mission for Christ? Can you imagine what it would be to live, to have an impact, the impact that could take place, students, on your campus when you get ready to take that, which you've experienced this past week, to take that back to the school, to, to bring it back to your homes? Can you imagine the impact that it would leave? Instead of focusing on what everybody else is doing, you've got your eyes up, you're focused on the Lord and the mission that he's given you, and man, you, you're, on, you're moving. There's no time, there's no space for what everybody else is doing because you're on, you're on mission. Man, you're living for Jesus. Can you, remember, can you imagine what, what our workplaces would be like when we got up in the morning and we went to work and it wasn't just about how hard I was going to work or, oh my goodness, I got to go way over here. I got to meet this person or this, this terrible person. I got to do this. If, but if, if our goal in life was when we were to get up, we were to be on mission for Jesus every day, do you think our workplaces would be different? Do you, do you think our communities would be different when we got out of the bed in the morning and we thought about how do I take what God has given me and how do I impart it to the world which is looking for hope? Students, do you think your schools would be different if you were to take that which God has imparted to you, what he's given to you, and you were to give it away to those other students that were just longing for somebody to tell them about the truth, not just tell them about church, but to tell them about Jesus. See, we, we sit, and I, I long to be a part of a church, and I feel like we are a part of a church just moving in that direction. And I feel like the best is yet to come. But we gotta keep our eyes up and focused on the Lord, not on hucks, not on any other adult, not on me, not on anybody else, but keep your eyes focused on Jesus. We're going to leave here in just a minute or two. We'll close out our time. But maybe you're here and maybe you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. My question is why? What, what has kept you up until this time from saying yes to Jesus? I'll tell you what it is. We learned about it in Jim's testimony when he was baptized a little earlier. We, we learned it when it's pride. Pride is basically says, no, Jesus, I don't need you. I got it taken care of. But let me tell you something. There's something that happens when you have a personal encounter, when you choose to say, Jesus, I tell you what, I'm going to step out of the leadership and I'm going to put you in the leadership and I'm going to sit in the back seat and I'm going to let you drive because you're a whole lot better driver than I am. And when we do that, when we submit ourselves that way, when we give our lives away, there's something that happens at that moment in time. And it's life transforming. And if you've never made a decision to trust Jesus, why not today? Why not today? 
For those of us that are followers of Christ, I think the, the reminder to us is stay the course. Stay the course. Listen, I, I know an awful lot of church people that have made a lot of stupid choices. Just because something is permissible doesn't mean it's beneficial, especially when it comes to the kingdom. Stay the course. Stay the course. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus because in the long run, at the end of it, you'll see a harvest. But we got to continue to be faithful and to continue to march forward. Students, man, I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for Hux and for Chrissy. I'm so thankful for those that invest not only in our students but in our children because there's so much at stake. When I lay my head to rest one day and I, I say my final goodbyes, when I get ready to see Jesus, I don't want to leave any rock unturned. I want to rest knowing that I've kept my eyes on Jesus and I've tried to do what he's called me to do and that I've been faithful. And as a result, lives of people would be impacted. And I pray that for you. As you get ready, you ought to have a list right now that you're writing out. I'm writing out these names of these people, my friends that, I'm, that I know that don't know Jesus and I'm going to be reaching out to them, telling them about Jesus because I want them to know Jesus. You write your testimony out. Practice your testimony. What's your testimony? Your testimony is what God's done in your life. Your life before Christ, when you came to realize, when you, when you came to know Christ, and your life since accepting Christ. Write it out. Be willing to share it at any time. Bible says always be willing to give, to share that hope that lies within you. Always be ready to share that hope that Christ, what he's done in your life. But you can't share what you don't have. In a camp isn't enough people. It's not enough to sustain you got to stay the course. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Pray with me today. Father, thank you for this, this time. What a blessing it is. And you have, you have overwhelmed your, us with your goodness. This is a testimony that, God, that you're at work in this place. May we not forget that. May we not treat it lightly, Father, but may we just give thanks to you. Give thanks for the leadership. Give thanks for Chrissy and and Michael and, and their effort and their investment of time for the leaders that, that have invested so much. These students that are just passionate about being on mission for you. What I, I can't wait to the beginning of the school year to see what's going to take place and the revival that's going to happen on these school campuses as our kids not just mold back into the, the school population, but they're going to stand out as ambassadors for you. Not because of what they know, but because of the encounter they've had with the living Almighty God. For the person that may be here that have never trusted Jesus even this morning, would you be willing to right there where you are to pray to receive Christ? For those of us that are firm, that are, that are, that are believers, have walked with Jesus for a long time, may we be reminded to continue in our faithfulness. And for all of us, may we keep our eyes on Jesus. Eyes up, because when our eyes up, and we remember the things that we're blessed with. And we remember that God is our source. And we keep the mission at the forefront. We won't become 
discouraged and we won't become discontented. Bless us as we walk out these doors, Jesus. May we, may we be your ambassadors. May people know that we're different, not by just by what we know, but how we live. In your name we pray, amen.